Hallelujah. God is good. I'm continuing this morning speaking on kingdom of light. So it's basically the theme is two aspects to the theme. We're talking about this term. The one is evangelism, reaching out to those who do not know the Lord. And then the other side is more focusing on prayer. Okay, so who likes to pray? Okay, who prays? <laughs> who prays more than 10 minutes a day? Okay, I can continue. We're going to lose a few hands as we go. <laughs> so I want to quickly ask this question. Do you know what this is? It's a shofar. Cool, eh? It's a kudu horn. And that one is a ram's horn. Okay, so what you do with this is you blow this, and it uh, makes an awesome, awesome sound when you do it right. So in this week, I felt God laid on my heart, and someone actually just spoke to me now that over the last few weeks, they've been waking up in the night, hearing a shofar being blown, in the spirit being blown. And in this week, I felt the Lord speak to me, and I was like, I was at a meet, leaders meeting in Cape Town, and, and I, I saw a vision, I saw a picture of a man taking a shofar and handing it to us and say, it's time, it's time to blow. It's time to proclaim. It's time. You see, this in, in Old Testament days, this was used to, to call the army together. There's a whole bunch of purposes for it, but it was declaring specific seasons and celebrations, but also calling the armies together. And I, and I believe this is also, a, a, on the one hand, it's a proclamation of the gospel. It represents the, the, the good news of Jesus. That we need to proclaim into the world that Jesus saves and he loves. But I believe also in a, in a prayer context, when, you, when we pray, it is like summoning the angel armies. You see, there's a spirit war for the souls of men. And it's real. It's a real battle. And I believe that when, the, when we blow the shofar, it represents a calling together of the angel armies to come. So that lives may be saved and transformed. So I want you just to uh, quickly close your eyes. I've, uh, I don't have confidence in blowing this thing, but I have confidence in an audio clip. <laughs> That's faith. I'm going I'm to pray for us, and then I want us just to just close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us. I want us to play that clip nice and loud, and uh, just to, just to Im- see it in the Spirit. See the angel armies. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, that you reign on high. You are the the God of the host of heaven, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the angel armies. God, you are the God who created heaven and earth. You reign from above. And Lord, we pray right now just for an awakening of our spirit senses. We call forth the angel armies. We call forth all of heaven's resources to us here and now. In Jesus' name.
That's powerful. So I believe that's what prayer is. Part of the, of the power of prayer is that when you and I, it's like we go up onto a hill in the Spirit, and then when we proclaim the name of the Lord, when we proclaim the name of Jesus, it's like this clarion call, this proclamation in the Spirit for the angel armies to come, for God to come. So I want to, this, this message and this series is basically about one thing. It's a call to pray. It's a call for us to take up our place in the spirit as watchmen on the wall and to declare the kingdom must come. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God wants us to partner with him to proclaim his kingdom to come. He needs your prayers. He needs our prayers. He needs us to partner with him. But what's happened to the armies of God, the people of God? We've become passive. We've become unbelieving. We've become doubt-filled. We've been, we've been backing down. We don't believe and pray anymore as we should. If we really believed, we would pray. With much more confidence, with much more faith, with much more expectation. Okay, so it's a call to prayer. But it's also a call to, from the place of prayer to overflow and to proclaim the message of Christ. So I, I've asked Amy to come and quickly share with us just about this whole bunch of testimonies in church of people taking out the message of Jesus into uh, their workplace and wherever else. So I want Amy just to come and share. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, I've been in East London since April this year. I'm doing my community service as an occupational therapist at one of our public hospitals here. And, um, yeah, I've, I've had an interesting, like, start there. I, I've really enjoyed it. I've had times where I've really struggled to find myself and kind of been, like, felt a bit, yeah, who am I in this place? What is my mission? Um, obviously, I know what my job is, but feeling something else, like, pulling me. And um, this series has really started, like, encouraging me and really challenging me to bring the kingdom of God to my workplace. And um, I've always said it's really easy to be a Christian and to love people that know God. Um, it's, it's much more simple. Um, but to actually take it out into a workplace where people don't necessarily know God, don't necessarily see things the way that a Christian does in terms of like the power that God has in your workplace. Um, but it's also the most exciting place for me because it's like this is where the stuff needs to happen. Um, this is where I can really make a difference. And, yeah, I think I just had a, a patient for confidentiality purposes. I'm not going to go into detail but basically a young man who um, very suicidal as a result of a number of diagnoses that led to him um, needing certain medication. And because of the period of time that he was on the medication, his eyesight deteriorated significantly. And um, he came into hospital, and the one afternoon I got a phone call from a doctor. And I never answer the phone like during lunchtime because our offices are at the back. And I just happened to walk through. And this doctor said, listen, I know that you're not seeing patients that were, are suffering from depression or because we normally with the physical at the moment, um, but would you be willing to see this patient? So I said, yeah, sure, like, that's fine. I'm happy to go and see what I can do. Um, so I went through to the patient, and I sat there, and I was like, okay, um, my mental health skills in terms of OT haven't really been exercised for a few months. Um, what am I going to do? And really, I just decided then, you know what, I'm just going to love this person. Because right now, this person doesn't even want to live. Um, trying to impart a whole bunch of knowledge as to how you're going to navigate around the household without eyesight, that'll come. Like, let's just start with just forming a relationship. And I love forming relationships with people, so it was a great um, yeah, opportunity. And, um, yeah, so I met him, we chatted, he was very doubtful, like he was completely hopeless, he has a child, and the questions he raised with me, with me were like heartbreaking, it was like, how am I going to read with my daughter when she gets to junior school, how am I going to lie to her that, and say like, I can't help you because I can't see what is in your book, and, um, and then posed a question with, to me was, how can a loving, so I asked him, I said, do you believe in God, and kind of like looked at me and then said, yeah, but why would a loving father allow me to suffer from poor, poor eyesight? 
And then I was kind of like, okay, um, well, I don't know, and I don't think he, God would never want that for you. So I'm just going to, I just said to him, I was like, God loves you unconditionally, and he's made you a whole person. And having no eyesight is not something that he would ever want for anyone. Anyway, that was on the Friday. So I went home. I was very challenged over the weekend, and I really felt like God just said to me, Amy, you're going to go pray, and you're going to pray, and you're going to pray, and you're going to pray, to the point where I actually felt like I'm crazy <laughs> because I would get in the car with my colleague, and I'd be like, today we're praying, and he's going to see it. <laughs> and for the, like, the next week, that is all we did. And I spent hours with him. Um, I took lunch with him, um, and then I saw him for his own session, and I had the doctor come to me then, like, towards the end of the week and just say his mood has changed so much. Like, he is no longer suicidal. He wants to live. He wants to go, and he wants to make a difference for the people that are suffering from the same thing that he is. And um, it was quite a funny conversation because the doctor came to me, and she was, he was like, Amy, um, so what is your therapy entailed? <laughs> and I was like well, um, about that. And then I was like, you know what? I'm not actually going to lie because I was like, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. I'm not forcing anything. This is what this man and I have established. So I said, well, it's consisted of um, reading the Bible, praying, <laughs> and worshiping. <laughs> and we used to put, like, put the music on in his little, they have, we have curtains. Um, eventually, the other three in the ward were also wanting to join in. So we, the curtains open, the music going, um, they couldn't walk, but he could, and we're standing, and we're praying, and we're, like, worshiping, and we even had, like, nurses come in, and I was like, come, do you believe? And I'm like, yes, and then pray for him, um, and just to see, like, that light in him just, like, ignite, and um, I really believe that you can see a light in a person, like, when a person knows God, or a person has accepted that God loves them, you can just see it, like, their eyes just change, and, um, I gave him a book, so his like outlet was a large part like writing and um, poetry and writing songs, and so I said to him, you know, in his depression, he was like, was hopeless, like, what's the point? I I can't read, I can't see. So I said, I'm going to buy you a book. So I bought him this really big book, and really big cookies, <laughs> and I was like, just try your best. And I got there, and I just said to him, I was like, just write what you want. Like, you don't have to. He's like, can I be angry? And I was like, if you need to be angry. Just be angry. Just do what you needed to. And I got back on Monday, and he had filled the whole book. He had written in the whole book prayers and just things that he just needed to forgive himself for, forgive others for. Um, yeah, he's got people in his own life that he really needed to navigate with. And um, and then I, you know, we kept praying, kept praying, kept, like kept praying. And I said to him, you know, would you mind if I? invited people from my own community to come and pray with you. And he was like, yes, yes, let's do this, let's do this. So on um, one of the evenings, we went back there, and two of my, well, my um, cell group leaders came with, and again, we just spent like an hour with him praying. And that night, he gave his life to the Lord, and he, you could just see he had such faith that his life was going to be so different. And um, the next day, he... Yeah, he left for home, and but just to we like just testing his sight. And when when I first saw him, it was about 1.5 meters that he could see in front of him. And by the time he'd left the hospital, he could see four meters. And he's a very honest man. <laughs> we would walk like further than four meters, and he's like, "I'm not gonna lie, I can't see anything." <laughs> um, but just yeah, really, and I still have faith. Like I still have faith. I'm gonna see him next week. Like that, he's going to have full restoration. And I really did believe that it was coming from his heart. Like he needed that healing of his heart, um, and that everything else will flow from the end. But I think as a like I just was saying to a lot of people, like an encouragement for me, it's like my job is so much more exciting going out and knowing that today is the day for the Lord. Not today I'm going to go and work as an OT and I'm going to apply the principles I've learned and I'm going to do my job because that's actually boring <laughs> because I don't know it might, my day just might not work out that way. But just knowing that, like for me, it's like a gift. You've got an hour with someone that you can bring them to know God, that you can show them love, that you can form a relationship with them. And I've just felt like my whole, um, I don't have that mentality of like, oh, it's Friday. 
Yes, okay, sometimes I do, because I'm tired. <laughs> um, but I think just, you know, people always saying, like, but you're going to burn out, but you're going to burn out. And for me, that, that concept doesn't exist in our king, like God's kingdom. Burnout is not a thing, because God will always, I know God always fills me and provides me with the, with the energy and with the, the time. And, yeah, I just felt like that was something that I really felt encouraged to do. And, yeah. Life and work is so much more exciting when that's what you go out to do every day. So, yeah, thanks. Awesome. That was a wonderful testimony. Find purpose in your work. Why just go through the motions when you can take Jesus out? So, quick question. Who's the light of the world? Jesus. And then Jesus comes and he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. If you and I are not shining, the people can't see Jesus. So I want to share with you this morning just basically a a few principles around how to get to shine. How to pray effectively. I specifically want to speak about the discipline of waiting upon the Lord. The spiritual discipline of waiting upon the Lord. Okay, so I want to unpack that for you, give you a few practical ways so you can have a continuous connection with God so that you can shine your light. Okay, so let's look at a few scriptures. Zechariah, I'm going to look at Zechariah 4, and I'm also going to look at Psalm 25, those two portions of scripture. I'm going to look at it. And uh, unpack it for you. Okay, so Zechariah 4 verse 2 to 4. It says, and he said to me, what do you see? Now, this is the prophet Zechariah encountering an angel. So this is an angel speaking, a heavenly being, a heavenly messenger speaking to the prophet, revealing things to him, spiritual realities, revealing spiritual realities to him. I believe God wants us to interact with angels at times. We see it all over the Bible. God wants us to to have a living relationship with God and with heavenly beings. So Zechariah 4 verse 2 to 4 says that, and he said to me, this is the angel saying, what do you see? How often does God or an angel come and ask a man, what do you see? Because what you you see is so key to, to your faith. So I said, I'm looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. So a lampstand, seven lamps with a bowl on top. And on the stand, seven lamps, the seven lamps, and seven pipes to the seven lamps. From the bowl, seven pipes to the lamps. This is like a, if you want to compare this to an engine... This will be like, it's like a seven cylinder, seven, seven, seven um, pipes running to this, to this, to this lampstand. Then verse three, it says, and two olive trees are by it. Say two olive trees. One at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, what are these, my Lord? So there's a lampstand. There's a bowl. There are two trees, olive trees. The olive trees represent the anointing. If you read later in the passage, it speaks of this, the, the, the um, anointing would drip into this bowl and it would feed the lampstand. Now, two weeks ago, I shared with you that you and I, we are a lampstand. Come on, let's say it. I'm a lampstand. You are a lampstand. The moment you commit your life to Christ... You become a lampstand. Jesus gives you a lampstand, and then he wants to light the lampstand with fire. Holy Spirit fire. So this picture, this vision that he see reveals a spiritual reality where it says the lampstand needs to be with the bowl, needs to come and stand where the anointing is, so the anointing can drip into the bowls, so that the oil can flow down to the lamps, so that the lamps can be lit. No oil, no fire. No oil. No fire. You want fire. Fire represents the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You see, so for us, in terms of the prayer context, what happens with us often is you have your little bowl, and then you run into your prayer closet. You run in, hi, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bye, Lord. And then you run out, and you maybe got one drop into your little bowl. 
And we wonder why we burn out. We wonder why the flame isn't burning. We wonder why we are tired. We wonder why we're feeling if we have no faith, no hope, because you are empty. So the, the spiritual discipline is to come and stand, to come and wait before the Lord so that the oil can drip upon you. Now, this is metaphorically speaking. Don't literally oil. I'm talking about metaphorically speaking. So you want to come to a place where, where the bowl can be filled so that the oil can activate and so that those flames can burn, so that you can be the what? The light of the world. Some of us are running on one cylinder, one lamp. Some of us are mini, mini lamp. So, so, so you want all of your lamps to be lit. The personal benefits are awesome, but also the benefits and the blessings to others are also huge. So don't just quickly run into your quiet time, your personal devotional time. You want to get filled, filled up. Now, I, I experience this at times when I, f- I feel I'm empty. I can, it's like I have an internal tank, and the gauge is saying, empty, empty, empty. And then what I do is I, would, I have this prayer chair where I sit in. And often I would just sit and wait upon the Lord. I have some worship music on, but I would wait. I would welcome the presence of God. I can feel like I'm, I'm filling up. Something's changing. The atmosphere on the inside of me is changing. You see, the Bible says you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us are a temple. So it's one of the other things I feel the Lord is saying to us in this season. He's saying, be my ark. Ark of a covenant. I want to show you a picture. The ark of the covenant. So that's the box that Moses had to build. Golden box with the two cherubim, the two angels touching one another. And this represented the tangible, manifest presence of God. When God was there, Israel won. When God was not there, they were in trouble. So the tangible presence of God is the defining, if I can call it a thing, the defining thing in our lives. So you and I are called to be an ark. There in the middle is supposed to be the, the mercy seat. Once a year, the, the high priest would come and bring some, some, some blood, a blood sacrifice, and drip the blood on that mercy seat to cover for the sins of the people so that God could dwell in their presence, in their midst, in the midst of Israel. You are an ark. I am an ark of the covenant. In other words, I am washed by the blood of Jesus. When you've committed your life to Jesus, you are washed by the blood of Jesus. So when you want to wait upon the Lord, you need to declare, God, I thank you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you that my sins are washed away. God, thank you that the veil has been torn. Your presence has left the building. Now I am an ark of the covenant. This will revolutionize your life. If you make this very simple transition, instead of just doing, it's about being in the very presence of God so that He can come and fill you and fill you and fill you. Don't run on empty. You know, a few weeks ago, we came back from Cape Town and I was, I was super tired. I was like, I need a holiday. Every few weeks, I need a holiday. My, only, my, my response was I had this burden to pray like I haven't had in a while. And so I think the next two and a half days, I just ignored all my hundreds of to-dos. And I was just praying for two and a half days, just in the presence of God. I could feel, I could feel my, my gauge lifting more, 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 more. And then suddenly that weekend, I could feel the impact of my prayers, just laying hands on me, just praying for people. I could see a massive change because now I've got something to give. God's presence within me. I can give of God. I have nothing to give of myself. So there's more that God wants to give to us, but you need to position yourself in that place. Be an ark. Let's say it, be an ark. Be an ark. Be a place where God can dwell. And so pray. On the one hand, prayer is blowing the shofar, calling the enemy, calling the armies of heaven to come. Shifting realities in the spirit, but also prayer is to be a lampstand, 
To say, God, here's the lampstand now. Light my lamps. Light the fire. Go read Acts chapter 2. The fire of God came upon the heads of people. You had lampstands being lit. What was the result? They turned the city upside down. So there's more that God has wanted to call us into. Don't just quickly run in. So let me take you to Psalm 25. I want to break this down. Five areas of how to wait upon the Lord. I want to break it down very practically of how to wait upon the Lord. Psalm 25, verse 1 to 5. It says there, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Let's read this together from verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. I'm sharing with you a key that could revolutionize your relationship with God if you will catch it. In the scriptures, it often speaks about waiting upon the Lord. It's not doing, it's waiting, it's receiving from God. It's Him filling us up. So the first bit there, if you go to the first verse again, it says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. So it says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. The picture I'm seeing is this. There's a secret place. There's a hiding place in God. It's a wonderful place. So when you come to God in this discipline of waiting upon Him, you're saying, God, I lift up my soul to you. Into the secret place. A place where no one can hurt me. A place where... My soul cannot be damaged. I'm seeing this picture of a man who lifts up his soul. The essence of who he is is there. And I'm seeing like a machine gun fire down here at his body. And his body is being shot to pieces. But he's not feeling it. You see, life happens. People happen, don't they? People happen to us. Pressures of life, whether it be financial or people hurting us or people saying stuff or disappointments in life. Life happens and that's like the machine gun fire we feel like i'm being shot to pieces i'm like that's hurting it it adds up it's like maybe one shot a day but over time it adds up to like i just feel i can't do this anymore but i believe there's a place in waiting prayer the discipline of waiting for god where you lift up your soul into god psalm 91 he who dwells in the secret place of the most high god He shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And in that place, life can happen, but it doesn't affect you as much. Peace. Rest for your soul. To you, O Lord, the psalmist says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And I come to you. So that's for me the first one. It's when you come to, it's not just I'm just doing, I'm praying, I'm reading. the. the, To you, oh Lord, I lift up my soul. Maybe in worship or maybe in declaration or maybe in proclamation or maybe in thanksgiving. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. Thank you. But when you come with thanksgiving, it's like you lift up your soul to God. It's powerful. So start there. My secret place. Lift up the soul. Psalm 27, 14, not on the screen. But it says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. He shall strengthen your heart. You know, people sometimes ask me, Andre, how, how do you do it? Leading a church, you know, you just keep going. Week in, week out, month in, month out. How do you do this? One reason. The secret place. The secret place, the secret place. In his presence, he renews, he restores, he gives strength to the heart. Are you? And you can quickly pick up when you're not doing this. You, you become like uh, not who you really should be. You become irritable and angry and short of temper and you blow up and you, 
you, you become afraid and you become stressed and you, you're taking all the stuff on you, then you know you're not doing this. You're not, you're not waiting upon God. You're not allowing your soul to enter the secret place. So that's the first one. The second one is casting your burdens. But uh, just connected to the first one, I want to say prayer is not just talking to God. Prayer is stepping into God. Prayer is not just talking to God. Prayer is stepping into God in Christ, hidden in Christ. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful place to be. So the second part where he says there, Oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let my, not my enemies triumph over me. I trust in you. In you. So the second part of waiting upon the Lord is to cast your burdens unto Jesus, for He cares for you. You have a crisis, whatever it might be. Nothing's changed. You have challenges. You don't know what the future looks like. You don't know how we're going to deal with this, whether it be financial, relational, your work environment, whatever. You you don't know. How do you deal with it? Cast the burden. Trust. Trust is, it's not solved, but God, I know you've got this. A few people I've been praying for the last while, I feel God is saying to them, I've got this. I don't know how, but I've I've got this. You don't know how God's going to do it, but he's got this. So I want to speak this over you. Whatever you're worried about, whatever you're burdened with, you might not be able to see the solution. You might not be able to understand how God is going to bring this to pass. But I want to say to you, God's got this. He's got it. Trust like a child. Cast the burden off your shoulders. Because if there's a burden, you cannot enter his presence. You can't enter with a burden. You need to cast it off and then you can enter in. Amen. Trust In the Lord with all your heart and lean, not on your own understanding. Don't try and figure it out. But we do like to, eh? we come in prayer and we try to fix things. God, please do this. And God, please stop talking in terms of asking. Come with thanksgiving. Put your soul into him. Step into Christ and cast your burdens. Cast your burdens. Cast your burdens. Cast your burdens. God, you've got this. I don't know how, but you've got this. And that issue, you've got this. And that thing, you've got this. I mean, you're God, for goodness sake. You are awesome. You are powerful. He is able. So the second one is casting. Psalm 37, 7. This is not in the, in the, in, on the screen. But it says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of a man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Let's say it. Say, rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. There's a place of you stepping into him, and you're resting. You're finding rest for your soul. Peace. This is not psychological talk. This is a real shift that happens. When you do this, it's like something is removed from your soul, and then God exchanges his peace and his joy and his rest to our souls. This is powerful. This is part of the discipline of waiting upon the Lord. It's a heavenly confidence, what's also called a Godfidence. A Godfidence. God, I know you've got this. You've got this. Cast your burdens. Thirdly, it says in verse 3, Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed to deal treacherously without cause. So it speaks about shame. Shame, what is shame? Shame is saying, you didn't just make a mistake, you are a mistake. It's identity, that's shame. I'm feeling shame because I'm feeling in who I am. I, I, I am the problem. So shame is about identity. So a third part of this discipline of waiting upon the Lord is to come and sit at the Father's, like on the Father's lap, Father's feet, to come and receive the Father's affirmation. I've experienced this so many times. Like people would say things maybe against me. 
uh, accusation. But when I do this, when I come and wait in the presence of God, I lift my soul to him. I cast my burdens to him. And then I begin to hear his voice. Then he starts to affirm my identity. Then he starts to speak to me about who I really am. Because only God really truly knows who we are. It is not your actions that define who you are. It's not your failures that define what makes you a failure. But so often we take the labels, I have failed, I am divorced, I am this, I am that. You know, we, we put labels, we take the label and stick it on our, on our, on our forehead like, I am ashamed. Because I am. I am this. But in this place where the Father's affirmation comes, He speaks and He says, no, you are my child. You are my son. And I believe in you. This is who you are. This is what I've called you to. So many times I would sit in the presence of God and scriptures would come to mind. And I would go read. I'm like, yes, this is who I am. My circumstances don't determine who I am. My God determines who I am. And that gives rest to my soul. Have you experienced the Father's affirmation? Because if you haven't or if you don't, you'll find yourself working for this. You're going to strive spiritually. Well, I read my Bible for one hour. Woohoo, I'm awesome. Compared to just no. Father, I want to say to you this morning that the, your heavenly Father celebrates you. He loves you more than you can imagine. But he, only he can give you what you truly need. A man, a human being cannot give you what only God can give you. And when you're in his presence and your heavenly father speaks to the deepest parts of your being, it changes you. It sets you free. It breaks chains off your, off your heart, off your perception. Well, if God believes in me, who the heck cares what people say? Amen. You can only find that in the secret place. There are so many believers running around like orphans, trying to be in, or trying to do instead of being in his presence. I want to call you to the presence of God. I want to call you into the secret place. I want to call you into a place of prayer, not working, but resting. So there was a, we were in India a few years ago, and there was a Canadian prophet in India. Sounds like a joke, the start of a joke. Canadian prophet in India walks into a bar in, you know, the, it's funny. South African pastor with a Canadian prophet walking into an Indian bar. That's a, it's a start, start of a good joke. But this guy, who, who's a, 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 a a legitimate, I mean, he has he, a big influence on, on, on many people, many churches. And so he prayed over us, and then he prophesied over me. And one of the things he said was, and it stuck with me over these three years now, he said, when you rest, God works. When you work, God rests. And then you're in trouble. But it was amazing. He prophesied a whole bunch of things of what God has called us to do in the future. One of the things he's called us, he prophesied, he said, Andre, you're going to co-create a movement that's going to impact nations. Hallelujah. So we're still growing there. <laughs> but but God, God comes and he re reveals to us who we really are. And he says, go for it. Step up, step out, and go for it. Don't let people define who you are. The reason I am stepping out doing things is simply because I've heard the voice of God. It's not like a, someone has come to me and said, man, I really see your potential. You know, I said, no, my, my heavenly father has seen the potential. Don't wait for a man or a woman to tell you who you are. Sit in his presence. Allow the father's affirmation. It changes us from the inside out. Then, be, then, then we begin to be instead of just doing. When you rest, God works. So I'm like, Jesus, I want to rest. <laughs> so that you can work. So that you can do it. So the next bit there. 
It says then the, the following verse, beautiful, verse 4. It says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. And verse 5, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. So it says, they show me. Show me. So I believe the fourth part, the fourth component of the discipline of waiting upon God or the fourth benefit would be supernatural guidance. Supernatural guidance. In other words, the psalmist says, Lord, teach me, show me, lead me, teach me. This, you know, God, the Holy Spirit. Graham Cook says this. He says, the Holy Spirit is a genius. So he says, when you're sitting there at work and you're battling with this concept, whether it be marketing, finance, a product, whatever it might be, do you know that God, the Holy Spirit, is next to you? Right there, he's there. And do you know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? I can help you with that. I'm a genius. I'm the best at marketing. I'm the best at any product. I mean, goodness gracious, he's God. He can do anything. So when you're stumped, you don't know what to do. You can come, go through this process of lifting up your soul to the, into that secret place. Cast your burdens. Allow him to come and affirm you in your identity. You cannot do anything from a place of unbelief and doubt. You, you, you are unable to live when there's not faith. And so I felt the Lord say to me a few weeks ago, he said to me, Andre, the only obstacle you're facing is unbelief. The only obstacle you're facing is unbelief. I tell you, that's the only obstacle standing between you and fulfilling your dreams, fulfilling God's dreams for your life. It's unbelief. The Father's affirmation removes the doubts, the fears, the shame. Then he affirms us and says to you, to us, I believe in you. Can I say to everybody in this building right now, you are a leader. You are a leader. The moment we become a Christian, you become a, a leader because the definition of leadership is influence. Every one of us have influence. And if we would simply position ourselves in that place where God can heal us and fill us with him, our, our lamps begin to shine and we know who we are in Christ and we can boldly reach out like Amy shared to people in her workplace, someone that is in need. It is time for our lights to shine. It's time to shine. Arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. But it cannot rise upon you unless you stop, <laughs> stop running around. Frenetic activity does not equal effectiveness or impact. You need to slow down. I believe this is a word for not just for the Christian church, but for our whole world. We are running from email to email to WhatsApp to Facebook to Twitter to magazines to TV to all these things just bombarded. I want to like just silence everything. When is the last time you sat quietly for an hour? Not doing anything. When was the last time you just sat and turned your heart to God? Some of us are terrified of being still. Always doing, doing, doing. I believe there's a call right now to quiet. I mean, they're saying just even in the business world, there are uh, consultants training people, business people, to get some white space. They call it white space. To slow down. They, 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 they found statistically like the, the, the level of productivity in companies is so low because people are just running the whole time instead of having times of quiet during the day. Ten minutes of quiet. Stop. Think. Ponder. Allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. So the Holy Spirit is with us every, in everything we're doing. Everywhere we go, in everything we're doing. Why not partner with God, the Holy Spirit, and say, Holy Spirit, what are you thinking? Jesus, what are you thinking about this thing? How should I do this? Relationally, the same thing. I had a situation in this week 
I was uh, in Cape Town. There was a relational challenge with somebody, and I was like, God, how am I going to fix this? I, I, don't wanna, I don't know how to do this. The person is angry. I don't know how I'm going to fix this. So I stepped out of a meeting while the meeting was going on. I stepped out, and I went praying for five to ten minutes, walking around, praying, because I've lost my peace a little bit. So I'm walking around, and I point, I'm standing and waiting upon God. I said, God, what should I do? And I just heard these words, engage, engage. Don't ignore the issue, engage. So at the end of the meeting, we had a two-hour engagement. But it solved so much of the relational problem because I listened to God, the Holy Spirit. I asked, okay, God, what should I do? Because I don't know. Should I, should I not? Maybe it's going to blow up in my face if I engage. Holy Spirit says, engage. Bring God with you. Turn your heart to the Lord every moment of the day. That scripture says, on you, Lord, I wait all the day. Now, it's not like sitting on a rock outside in the forest all the day. It's like a continuously connectedness with God. You started in the morning to get that connection going. Do you have 30 minutes? Do you have 45 minutes? Do you have an hour in the morning that you can connect with God, become still, meditate on some scriptures, allow him to fill you up, get that connection going, and then the whole day. In your car, thank you, Jesus, praying, listening to him. Prayer is more than just speaking to God. It's also listening. Say listening. But if your soul is burdened, it's hard to hear. So you need to go through the process. Lord, I lift up my soul to you. God, I cast my burdens on you. Lord, I'm receiving your affirmation, God. Lord, what do you think? You're a genius, Holy Spirit. You're a genius. Help me with this business. Help me with this relationship. Help me in this situation. God, you are amazing. And then the last one, it says, it says you're the God of salvation upon whom I wait all the day. You're the God of, you're my salvation. The God of my salvation. I want to put it further. Our God is not just this, our Savior, but the Savior of others. I want to encourage us to overflow the life of God to those around us. Do what Amy did. Pray for somebody. Share with somebody. Tell them your testimony. Step out. But first get filled with Him and then step out. So I want to read this last verse. Ending over the Zechariah. Back to Zechariah 4, verses 5 to 7. This illustrates... The power of the Holy Spirit and that relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. Come on, let's say it. The Holy Spirit is a genius. I mean, he's God. He's a genius. And he wants to help you. He wants to help you. So Zechariah 4 verse 5 to 7. So then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel was building the temple. It was a physical building project. So this is for everybody in the building industry. This is going to work. But I believe it's wider than that. But he was speaking to Zerubbabel, and he said, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. Isn't that amazing? Building a building project. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by my spirit. In other words, it's by the Holy Spirit in, in every situation, says the Lord of hosts. And then it says, verse 7, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. This reveals the power of the Holy Spirit. When God's Spirit begins to work in us, you might stand before a mountain. What would you prefer to do? Dig through the mountain for 50 years? Or in a short amount of time, it becoming a plain before you? Flat, boom, mountain cheers. I'm sure option number B. It's obvious. But many of us in our Christian walk, we're taking a little spoon and we start to dig in the mountain in our own ability, in our flesh, in our own capability. It's going to take forever. And then there's another place when we do it by the Holy Spirit. God, uh, you're the best leader ever. How should we do this? And then boom, idea, amazing. Thank you, God. That's a much better way. 
to do it. Or, or in the context of someone that doesn't know God. In the, in, the, in the natural, yes, be kind. In the natural, we just love people and we keep on loving people. But that mountain might take 10 years to move. The mindset of being anti-Jesus or religion is bad or I'm not interested. But then there's an anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit that can in a moment flood in and cause someone to come to Christ. I'm going for option B. And I want to invite all of us to reposition ourselves, to apply this discipline of waiting, because it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And this mountain will become a plain before Zerubbabel with shouts of grace, shouts of grace. Glory to God. The shouts of grace, the celebration. God, we celebrate your faithfulness. We celebrate your victory. We celebrate the cross. It is finished. God, thank you. That is not by our abilities. It's your ability. You're going to be glorified. No one will take the, 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 the glory for this God. It's going to be you. It's by grace. It's not by our works. It's by grace. It's your empowerment. It's your ability, God. So I want to encourage you. Reposition. Reposition yourself. Away from just your own abilities. Come on, let's say it. I am a leader. I am appointed by God to not just exist, but to influence others. Amen. But you need to begin to believe it. That God wants to do more through you than what you can imagine. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's say it. I'm a lampstand. And I'm looking for some fire. Hallelujah. Amen.